Our scripture passage today is from Ruth 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Andrea. All right, so this is uh, our last sermon in the book of Ruth. We've met several characters in this story, and uh, let's just quickly refresh on some of the characters we met. We met a woman named Naomi. Do you remember Naomi? What are some things you remember about Naomi? She was bitter, yes, terribly bitter. What else? 
She had two sons, yep. She lost them, she lost her husband, yeah. Yeah, good. So she, she went through all this loss, all this grief, and, and lost her, her land. I mean, she moved away to a foreign place, um, not thinking God would provide her food in, her, in the land of Israel, in the promised land. Um, she becomes bitter as all this stuff falls apart. But then what happened with her? What happens in, through the book? Does she change or does she stay bitter? She changes. Love it, which is so cool because it gives us hope, right? I've, st- I've had bitterness before and like, oh my goodness, you feel like you're in a hole you can't climb out of. It kind of reinforces itself sometimes, but I see hope in here. Like even with the most difficult circumstances, her hope in God is restored. Her faith in God is restored and she begins to live differently and experience the kindness of God. And the kindness of God through other people. So we met another uh, person named Ruth. What do we know about Ruth? She's a foreigner, yep, from Moab. Not a Jewish person. Stranger, alien. (laughs) Alien, yep. From another country, alien. Yeah. (laughs) What else do we learn about Ruth? She's loyal. Oh my goodness. I'm going to stay with you, mother in law, bitter old mother in law. <laughs> Through all these changes in life, I'll be right there. Yeah, do we learn anything else? She works really hard. Yeah, she's faithful. She's not, she, she puts her money where her mouth is. She, uh, she works really hard. So she was married to one of Naomi's sons who died. So she really didn't have an immediate tie. But she stayed with her mother-in-law, moves back, moves, didn't move back to Israel. She moved to Israel for the first time for her and, and just was committed and faithful. And we see this trust in God that helped Naomi as she became, she dealt with her bitterness. We met a, a man in the story named Boaz. And what do we know about Boaz? He's a good guy. Yep. Anything more specific? <laughs> yeah, he's got a farm. Or he mo- yeah, he, he has a farm. He owns some land. He has workers on that farm. We s- What's that? He's middle-aged. Yeah, he's not as young. He's not, as, he's not quite as young and spry as some of the other men. Um, but we see this like good rapport that he has with people. He's got a good emotional intelligence. He connects with people. He sees people. He sees this woman in distress, even though she's a foreigner, and he puts protections around her. The kindness of this man is impressive and, and really fun to see. Um, and so as we, as we see these characters going along, and they're beginning to experience kindness and safety, their faith in God get, finds expression in this plan that uh, we saw in chapter 3. This plan for Ruth to go approach Boaz, kind of in the night. It's this uh, unusual way, uh, but essentially she's coming and saying, would you, would you spread your protective arms over me? Would you welcome me into your home? Would you, would you welcome me? Would you marry me, in a sense, is what she's asking him. And so today we're going to look at how Boaz follows up with that. That wasn't super weird, because he was a 
part of their kin, a family redeemer, kindred redeemer is what that's called. So let's find out what happens from Boaz's side and how he responds to it. But before we do that, uh, let's just pray and ask God to shine his light into his word. Father, thank you so much for your presence here with us. Uh, Thank you for having your hand of calling on Antioch Community Church. Uh, You've called us together. You've called this church to to be a a light in this community, and we want to be all that you want us to be. Uh, So we want to jump in with both feet and see what happens. Uh, Lord, we, we pray as we open your word today that you would just, your Holy Spirit would help us to see and understand Ruth chapter 4 in a new way. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we've seen where Boaz is this kindred redeemer, this like family redeemer. He has the opportunity, if he wants to, to extend care in some pretty unique ways. But what's really cool about Ruth chapter 3 is it's not just about one kinsman, kinsman redeemer. Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, rather. Ruth chapter 4 is about three kinsman redeemers. Three different ones. And I want us to look at those today and to see, uh, see who those are. The, the first one, uh, Boaz referred to him. He said, hey, I hear your request, Ruth. But I want you to know there is one other family, kind of extended family member who's a step closer to those men who died. He's he's a close, so he's first in line. He's the first kinsman redeemer, and I'm going to call him the unwilling kinsman redeemer. He had incredible opportunity, whoever this guy was, to step up and make a difference, but he was unwilling. Listen to Ruth 4, starting in verse chapter uh, first, Ruth chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Just slow down and do that again. Um, and this is happening like within hours of Ruth's request during the night at the end of chapter 3. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down too. Boaz then took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. So he like calls this meeting. And then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the, uh, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it. In the presence of these seated here, uh, in the, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if not, tell me, and I, so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. Right? So he has the opportunity. He says, you have an opportunity to buy a piece of land. And so his response is, oh, I'll redeem it, he said. And then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi and Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow. In order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, ooh, what comes with it? Then I cannot redeem it 
because I might endanger my own estate. I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. And then it explains how they used to pass shoes around, um, which was just kind of funny, but, you know, instead of writing a receipt, like, oh, we had this transaction, transaction here's our receipt. If, it, if somebody says, uh, hey, we made a transaction, and the other guy says, no, I didn't, the elders are sitting there, and they're like, oh, I saw him pass shoes around. I saw the shoes. It was handed and accepted, right? So it just gave a, it was like a weird thing, but it stood out and validated what they were doing. Um, and so he says, you buy it yourself. So we see this unwilling kinsman redeemer. Uh, he at first liked the first part of the idea. What was the first part of the idea presented to him that he liked? Yeah, buying some land. Who doesn't? What farmer is not going to buy a piece of adjacent land? Like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. That would be great. I could plant crops on that land. I could rent it out. I could uh, pass it along to my children. I don't have anything yet for my third son, right? Um, it, it expands my wealth. It expands my inheritance. But then he gets a little more information. You know, what comes with the land? Uh, a wife. <laughs> Two women actually come with the land. Uh, an older one and a younger one. Bo- uh, both widows. With the implication that, you know, they need to have children to pass this land on to. I wonder what he's thinking at that point. Wait, an old, an, uh, an old woman who I've heard is bitter or a foreign woman? who wouldn't be real accepted around here. Maybe he's thinking that. What else do you think he might be thinking? I can barely afford one wife. <laughs> yeah, I can, yeah that's right, I can barely afford one wife. Two more mouths to feed. What is this going to cost me? I thought of that. Yep. Good. What else might he be thinking? He might not have an heir yet for his own land. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, it, I think that inheritance thing was really significant. Either he didn't have kids yet, so like if, if he does this, all his land's going to them, or maybe he did have some, some kids, so he's thinking, well, buying the land expands their inheritance, but as a kinsman redeemer, if he bought the land and Ruth or Naomi had children, then that land would go to them. Like he would pay the price. So he'd be taking money from his own kids' inheritance to buy that piece of land, and then that land would be going to other kids, not his own kids. So he's going, my kids might be kind of ticked off if I do this. That could certainly be part of it. What else? There's kind of an obvious one. I'm surprised you're not mentioning it yet. Okay, maybe they have some baggage they're bringing with. Yep. Yeah, I don't want another wife. Or, related to that, someone at home might not like this deal. I mean, how are you going to explain this? Hey, honey, how was work today? Well, I bought some land. Oh, that's great. And, and uh, I, I now have three of you or whatever. I don't know what that would look like. 
uh, uh, he had to be thinking, yeah, that, that's not going to fly at all. So he's unwilling. He sees an opportunity really to care, to love, to help, and he turns it down. He's unwilling. He probably hurt, saw, hey, this is an opportunity, and he started doing the math. Started running equations. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to do all of this stuff? So it made me think a lot. When I see an opportunity or I see a person in need, that's how I act. I act like this unwilling redeemer. I start doing the math. Um, I start thinking, how much is this going to cost to help that person? Like, how much is it going to cost? You know, is it actually they need, they need money? I don't have a lot of money to give, and I kind of have plans for it, and what's it going to cost? Uh, that person seems really needy. How much time am I going to have to, I mean, are we going to be talking about like late night calls to deal with their issues? Have you ever done this before, or am I the only one? Okay, I'm the only one who <laughs> says, I don't know, man, this is going to cost a lot. And maybe it would be, so I'm battling sometimes like the cost to me, money, time, heart, energy, versus kind of the cost to them of like, uh, or really what I'm weighing sometimes is, do I want to pay the cost to help that person versus how much is it going to cost me to ignore it and assuage my own guilt? That's my math, if I'm honest with you. It's internal. Which cost do I want to pay? And a lot of times I'll choose, you know what, I can figure out a way to assuage my guilt and not deal with that. And then I'm like, oh, maybe I should have. Nope, no, no, I can pay that cost. I can, I can suppress that in me. What's not being weighed in my equation is this person in front of me that has a need. This is how it works in me a lot of times. I don't know how it works in you. But I can relate oftentimes to the unwilling kinsman redeemer. I cannot redeem the land because it might endanger my own estate. It's a price to pay. Not sure I want to pay it. Well, there's another kinsman redeemer mentioned, and it's a whole different process that happens with him. And this is about Boaz. So the guy's like, I can't do it, you do it, and it jumps to the next person in line to Boaz. And we already saw in this passage some things he did that show his integrity. Uh, He responded quickly. Uh, He didn't say, you know, if you would email me, I could look at the, investigate that later when I have time. That's how I respond sometimes. Or, um, you know, he just, he responded quickly to meet that need. He was transparent. He says, let's, get, let's ha- sit down and have a conversation in front of a bunch of witnesses. Let's make this offer. Let's be up front and out in the open about this whole thing. Nothing underhanded at all. You know, he had the integrity. He could have told Ruth, hey, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We got to figure out a way to get Uncle Ebenezer out of the way so we can do this. He, he didn't do that. He just went right to the people impacted. And he had this integrity to do that. Uh, but at the same time, he was shrewd the way he presented it um, because he wanted to be the one to help. 
to help both of these women. So let's see how the story developed from there, starting in verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this, this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar, Tamar bore to Judah. So the elders are like, this is cool. This guy's stepping up. And this guy's filling in the gap. And we have a new family in town. And they give a blessing on him. They state this blessing that uh, they want God to, to honor this union. They want God to provide children. And it's interesting, they even give a blessing about future descendants, which we'll see later was more significant than they ever could have known, as God gave his blessing on it as well. On the surface of the story of the book of Ruth, Boaz is the hero. He's the guy. He stepped up. He was kind. He filled in the gap. He did what others weren't willing to do. But like most scripture, there's a surface level of what happened, but then there's this under the waterline. There's another story going on. There's actually another kinsman redeemer in play that we get to see happening And this is a story about God. It's a story about God taking care of his people, God redeeming this this older widow, about God caring for this this proselyte. In other words, she was outside the family of God, and, and like us, she chose to, I want to be part of your family. I want to be part of what you're doing. And it's about God, how God took care of them. And God extended his care. And we can see that a little more explicitly toward the end of the story. So in Ruth 4, starting in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And then he, uh, he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. So God did that. I mean, Boaz kind of did that, but God did that. It was God who was involved in that story. And she gave birth to a son, and the women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord. So the women in the town around her, they know this isn't just a human story about a guy who was nice. This is about God and his provision and his redemption. Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. So the women of the town recognize God's hand is in this. God is blessing you and providing for you. 
And they make a big deal about how precious this child is. And we would all do that, right? Someone has a child and it's like, hey, you got a new baby, great. I wonder what he's going to do when he grows up. This is so cool. But they know this child is the direct result of God's intervention, of God's redemption. I think they have a sense that there's something special that's going to happen. So the book ends with, you know, Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and cared for him. The women laying there or living there were like, Naomi has a son, grandson, but look at that, you know, the one who lost her boys has a, has a little boy in her lap. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse and he was the father of David. And then it goes on and gives this family tree. Um, go ahead and put that next slide up. So it gives this family tree, and then the top half of the slide is what happened at the end. It's how the book of Ruth ends. It gives this family lineage. And I laid it next to Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 3. What do you notice? What do you notice first about them? should just start, if you start at verse 19 and then at the beginning there. You see any parallels? It's pretty much the same thing. Pretty much exactly the same thing, except that Matthew adds just a little bit. What does Matthew add? He adds a couple of the mothers, which was a little bit outside of tradition. Their tradition would be to identify the, the, the fathers and the sons and to trace the family line that way. Matthew's like, yeah, yeah, I get all of Jewish tradition that I'm writing to and who's going to read this. But you know what? I can't not mention these moms, even though it's not normally in these family trees, the way they write them. Like, there are some women that I need to highlight because they had such an incredible role. God used people from outside. These, God used, used people who came into the family of God. Uh, neither one of these were from within, you know, they weren't children of Abraham. They, they decided to trust God anyways, and they were grafted in, and, and then they were accepted, and God used them, not just like, yeah, you can come in, but over here is the cool stuff that God's doing, like giving birth to David, who will be the greatest king ever, who goes on, that's why Matthew's mentioning it, who goes on in his lineage to give birth to Jesus in Bethlehem. It's not over here. It's these, these women who trust God and join the family of God. It's you. It's in your line. It's in your family that David comes and that Jesus is born in the exact same town where Ruth married Boaz many, many years before. God was redeeming them in really special ways that they couldn't even tell or predict at that time. The first kinsman redeemer weighed the cost. Weighed the price he would have to pay in order to redeem the land and Naomi and Ruth. And he concluded... I'm not going to pay that price. It might endanger my estate. Boaz decided to pay it 
But as we look at God as the ultimate redeemer, was there a cost for him? Was there a cost for God to redeem you? Was there a price that he would have to pay in order to even be able to have the option to bring you into his family? What was the price that God had to pay to bring you into the family of God? God so loved the world, he gave his one and his only son. And we know what that looks like. He, he left the, the glory of heaven. He didn't consider his equality with God something to hang on to, but, but he became a man. He became like us. He became a servant of men. He became accused of crimes that he didn't commit and became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. So that all of my sin, to redeem me meant my sin that I committed was lifted from my soul and placed on Jesus and paid for on the cross. So that I could be free. And his life as the son and the heir of all of God's stuff, everything, God's righteousness, God's glory, I became joint heirs with Christ. I'm brothers with Jesus. How crazy is that? I deserve none of that. But God looked at me and God looked at you and said, I will pay whatever it costs for you to be in my family. And all this inheritance stuff, whatever, at the end, I'm going to do what it takes to sort it out so that you get everything. Who here deserved that? This is by grace that we're saved. By grace that God said, you actually deserve punishment. I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to give you mercy. God is our great kinsman redeemer. There's this passage in Colossians chapter 1. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of of sins. So it changes the math a little bit. Now I think about when that that unwilling kinsman redeemer and how I weigh, like God brings someone before me, hey, you should help this person. This person has a need. How should I weigh that? Is that really just on me to weigh like how much is it going to cost me? How much am I willing to give? Should I, am I gonna am I gonna say no and deal with feeling guilty? What what is all of this happening? This is actually more about God than it is about me. When I see a need and God says, "Love your neighbor." By the way, your neighbor is right here, and He presents someone with a need. My thoughts should be about God as their Redeemer, God who's paid the ultimate price for them, God who loves them and longs for them to be part of His family. God, for whom they're not a burden. 
God who desires that that, that that person be a daughter or a son of God. God who already paid whatever the cost is that, need, that they need. God's already met their needs. He's just asking me to be a messenger, to be a conduit like Boaz. Like maybe God could express his kindness to them through me. I don't need to save them. I don't need to save them. I just need to think about what does God have for me to do today? What is my part? It's not about whether or not I'm risking my estate. God's already risked his for us. He's just calling us to be messengers, to be conduits of kindness so that he can do his good work through us. I'm so thankful for him. Would you pray with me today? Father, thank you so much for all that you did to, uh, to, to be our kinsman redeemer. Um, Lord, you have you've given your son who came and, and laid down his life for us so that we'd be part of your family. We thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for giving us this message that we can, we can share with other people that, that you long to redeem them as well, to bring them home to give them a home, to welcome them. And we have no idea what you'll do with people who you save through our kindness, through our words, through our testimonies. But Father, I pray that you'll help us to first of all, always appreciate what you have given to us in bringing us into your family. And second, just to be conduits of kindness, to be conduits of good news, to be people who, through our response, other people can meet Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.